So it might seem like an odd place to start our first episode, but I wanted to talk a little bit about road racing. So, you know, it seems like nowadays um, most people that get into road racing around here almost start with mountain biking and then they start transitioning over a little bit to gravel and to road and to other types of racing. Um, But I thought it'd be interesting to just have a little better understanding of how road racing works, how it's different from mountain biking. Um, my, my first question is, how much bigger is road racing than mountain bike racing? So I don't know if, if I could talk about bigger as in like the number of people who participate in it or whatnot, but I, I know that like spiritually for cycling, the road is where it's at. Like, like competitive mountain bike racing is 30-ish years old. You know, you could argue a little more, a little less. Um, professional road racing goes back to like the late 1890s you know like this is a very old very established and very revered sport i'd also say that like mountain biking is pretty big in the u.s um road cycling really isn't i mean again it's older it's been here for longer but if you go to europe or even other parts of the world like Colombia, you run into a lot more road cycling enthusiasm and knowledge than you do in the u.s mm-hmm. i mean because even just like mountain bike racing when you watch like a world cup race on on TV, um, it just seems to draw crowds there more so than it does in the U.S. and and you know and it and it seems like with the tour and with the different races in Europe, I mean it actually draws huge crowds. Whereas like crowds, whereas yeah. it seems like at U.S. races like the only people that show up to watch are those that are like obligated to because a loved one's in the race or something. It's not doesn't seem to draw quite the crowds. But. Well, and also like let's not dance around the fact that like road racing watch like being in a road race is very exciting watching road cycling is very boring like like a road race is at least three hours up to six or seven and there are maybe 15 minutes of of excitement like a a professional mountain bike race even there's times where it's like oh you know it's all nothing's changed for 10 minutes it's all about the same but like there's there's enough going on that you could just sit down and watch a mountain bike race and be entertained you have to be so tuned into strategy and and like general you know like background knowledge um, to really get much out of a road race. So I understand so, that. So in a real simple, what, what's a real simple explanation how road racing and mountain bike racing are different? So like a mountain bike race is a whole bunch of people lining up together and the first one to complete the race wins, right? And, in, in, and the road race is, is the same, but in a mountain bike race, everyone's racing for themselves. It's only going to last an hour or two, Right. And um, there's very little strategy. So in a road race, you have riders who usually belong to a team on the professional end, which is mostly what we're going to talk about here in professional road cycling. You have six to eight people on a team. And of those six or eight, only one or two will have any ambitions as far as like what they want to accomplish in the race, um, where everybody else is there just to like help. Okay. Well, how, um, how does the team help a rider or how do they help each other? So like when I say helping, you know, it's it, and this is kind of goes back to like there's no strategy in mountain biking because of the physical factors that are involved, right? All of the climbs are really steep. There's descents you have to do on your own. Like you'd never see Lars Forster waiting for Nino Schurter at the bottom of a descent so that he can pace him back into the group, right? Like there's just no reason. There's you can't really do much to help your teammates. So that's why mountain biking, even though you're on a team, you're racing against your teammates, you know. In a road race, you know, when I say helping, it basically means for the most part, riding in front of riders who are more important than you and who have a better chance of winning than you do. And the idea is there is that you're shielding them from the wind, you're trying to keep them you know, really fresh for the critical part of the race. Basically, you want your leader to expend the minimum amount of energy so that when the critical point in the race comes, they're ready to win it, right? Okay, so for those that 
don't ride on the road much, how much does that actually help? Huge. Like, like an unbelievable amount. It's absolutely enormous. And we're even starting to see, like, in cross-country mountain bike World Cups, look closely, a lot of them are starting to, like, wear aero helmets and skin suits and stuff. Like, aerodynamics make way more of a di- difference than we realize. Over a certain mile per hour, basically, it starts to... Or if, if there's wind, I guess, it starts to make sense. Yeah, but. and, like, and it's, it's obviously there's a curve. It's not like it's a binary where under 12 miles an hour aerodynamics don't matter and then over 12 miles an hour they do. But, like, I always say that's kind of, like, the number I've heard chucked around where, like, if you are traveling... 12 miles an hour, aerodynamics matter. Like if you are riding behind someone, you are expending measurably uh, smaller amounts of energy. And on the road, you know, where they're traveling 25, 30 miles an hour, if you're behind four or five guys, you're doing almost no work. Like you can coast, right? And here's one place where I think road racing and mountain bike racing are quite different. Um, I would say in most cases, if you catch somebody in a mountain bike race, you should pass them because you're going faster than they are. Like, yes, I, I, I think that staying back to get an aerodynamic drafting advantage in a mountain bike race usually probably is a bad tactic. Um, yeah, that's stupid. Unless like, you know that the person that's pulling you is actually faster than you and they're helping you out. Or but, if you're like at Soldier Hollow on the road, maybe or, some of the pros are going fast enough that you could argue that like occasionally, but like if we're honest, for most of the Nike riders who are listening right yeah, now. Yeah, if you catch them, pass them, you're so faster. Like, there's, and we'll talk about this in a sec. There's a psychological benefit to following people and letting them pace you a little bit, but but like physically, the physical forces at play there do not, are like aren't conducive to you, you know, having a strategy where you follow somebody to try to save energy. But on the road, that's huge. And, unless they're in first place in your But yeah. we could, that's a whole different yeah, and, topic. And, and it's also like helping can also mean in a road race like you know uh, you know i fall back to the team car to go and grab a, a water bottle or a jacket for the team leader so that they don't have to be like moving around the peloton you know you have or the group of riders um you know you can have like uh, a rider who you know, like hey i need to be up at the front because we're going to go through some corners and then we're hitting the sprint right and your team is there so that they can like help you work through the group and get to a good position so there's lots of things that helping can mean but you know like 80 to 90 percent of the riders in a race are there for someone else okay so in like an XC mountain bike race, you know, you start in a mass start mm-hmm. and your goal is just to go 120% and try to get to usually a, a, a single track or a bottleneck or something before other people do because it's about position. Yeah, it opens with a sprint. Yeah, it opens with a, the hardest effort of the whole race is going to be at the start. Yeah, not not on the road. And how like how, did, like, how would a road start be different and... Like at the start of a road race, I remember seeing a video one time when I was younger of like this guy who's talking to a reporter and you can hear them say, go in the background. And he talks for like 10 seconds while the group starts to roll. And then he's like, okay, cool. We'll see you. You know, kind of hops on. It's chill. Like a lot of road races these days for safety, they will have and they'll have the pros follow a car for the first kilometer just to keep it you know, get everybody up to speed safely, then the car will peel away and then they can start. And sometimes you'll have riders try to sprint away from that point, but that's not because they're trying to win. They're trying to get on TV or something, right? But like in a road race, road starts are, are usually very mellow for like a true road race. That's not true for a criterium, but you know, for a road race. So when you say road race, what does that, I mean, is, there, is, it, is like a road race a road race or are there several different types? So like, a, a, like, so when I say road race, I mean that kind of three to six hour length where you're going, you know, you're usually not doing laps. You're going to be, on, you know, the pros will be doing like a huge 150 mile circuit, right? Where it's like one big loop. Criteriums are like smaller road races where you have, 
you know, we were like, hey, you're going to go in a lap around the DMV or the business park or whatever, you know, 11 times and then, or like 45 minutes plus two laps or something, right? So that is technically a road race. But when I say, when I say road racing, I mean the kind of long endurance, four or five hour, um, you know, sort of like uh, longer events like that. Okay. And how many days? So that depends. Um, when you have, uh, so, so most races are one day, right? We call them one day races. Sometimes you'll hear them referred to as classics if they're in a certain part of Europe. Um, longer races like the Tour de France are, are called Grand Tours. There's three Grand Tours right now. Um, they're each 21 stages, three weeks long. And then there are also a number of like week long stage races, but those are a collection of five races or a collection of 21 races. Um, so yeah, most of the road racing that you'll see on TV is one day stuff. And what is a, so what's a Grand Fondo? Grand Fondo is a marketing term. <laughs> it doesn't mean it, it is explicitly non-professional. Like a Grand Fondo is like um, Lodija, I guess, could maybe be called a Grand Fondo or like the Huntsman 150 or something like that. Like there's usually a charity purpose inv- involved or just like, hey, come ride the scenic vineyards of California's whatever valley, you know. Like so it's in, more like a group ride? It's more like a group ride. And but people be, still try to win? They'll, they'll have times, but those aren't, those aren't really road races. Like when I say road races, I mean, I mean you know, like road races very specifically okay um another question i have this might be a little off topic but um do you think that that training for road racing and training for mountain biking is similar like could a mountain biker be a good road racer and could a road racer be a good mountain biker I personally believe that a professional mountain biker could hop into professional road racing and do okay. I think very few professional road racers could hop into a mountain bike race and be okay. Um, the struggle for that professional mountain bike race is going to be the length. Um, but again, like, and, and we'll go into this in just a second. Like most mountain, most like road bike races are, are pretty easy until they're not. Like a lot of them, for these guys, they're going easy. They're talking to each other in the bunch. Mountain biking involves a lot more specific technical handling skills that you have to develop as a mountain biker. Because I was going to say, other than, um, I, I was going to say, other than the the technical side, because there's a technical side to road racing and, and, mm-hmm. and knowing how to ride in a group and so forth, and there's obviously a technical side to mountain biking, <clears throat> but I would say the training and the fitness is very similar. It's similar, you know, like a mountain bike racer is going to have to have a, a really good kind of explosive, you know, get up that minute long climb, but like there are minute long climbs in road races too. I would say a mountain bike racer is not going to be able to do well in a grand tour. If you just took, if you took Nino Schurter right now, stuck him in the tour, he's going to struggle. Take Nino Schurter and stick him into a one day Belgian classic. He's going to do great. You know, like it'll be hard because it's longer than he's used to. But like these road racers would, would get eaten alive in the pace, you know, the, the kind of frantic pace of of an hour and a half long mountain bike race and then you know getting over a rock garden or a big jump like that yeah i mean as far as the specific fitness it's it's different but the general fitness involved i think i i don't think it would be too hard to make a good mountain biker a good road racer and make a good road racer a good mountain biker no there's just a little bit of fine tuning that would need to be involved yeah and again it is fine tuning so um so like when you actually start a road race and this is kind of interesting like road road races usually kind of go something like this like they'll say start right and uh, um, at some point, a breakaway is going to go, right? When I say a breakaway, I mean like a, a small group of riders, anywhere from one or two to 20 or 30, that are going to leave the main bunch. We call the main bunch the peloton. And, um, you know, they'll break away. I've, you can see it happen right when they say go, you know, when they're driving by in the car and they say, all right, the race has started, they'll break off right there. Or they can break away a minute before the finish, right? But at some point in almost every road race, you're going to have a, a break going off of the peloton, right? 
and then um, you know like you have to consider like all things being equal this smaller group is going to have to work harder than the peloton because the peloton there's a, a greater aerodynamic advantage you know they'll just kind of cruise in a lot of races they'll kind of let that breakaway get one two three five ten fifteen minutes before they decide oh, okay we're going to chase them back now um, and usually if you're going into the breakaway you know like these days a lot of them do it just to get on tv you know or like their sponsors are like hey we're not going to win, but like if our sponsor's logo can be on TV a whole bunch of times and they keep cutting the break, that's good. Um, but in pretty much any road race that you see, um, you know, uh, like you're you're going to see you're going to see that breakaway going. And and like for some people, if you're not a pure sprinter and you're on a flat race, if you stay with the peloton the whole time and you come to the finish, you're going to lose, right? Like there there are sprinters that are going to beat you. So in a lot of cases, for a lot of riders, if they want to win that race, the breakaway is the only realistic chance they have of doing that. So. Are all are all road races pretty similar? So no, and this is the interesting thing is that in road racing, it's almost like five dis- different disciplines going on at once. And to understand road racing, you kind of have to understand physics. So like there are different kinds of bodies, right? Which means there are different kind of racers. So you've got some guys who are, you know, five foot eleven and one hundred and thirty pounds and two percent body fat, and they weigh nothing. And these guys on the really long steep climbs are going to excel, right? They have less weight, you know, to carry up the hill and the, and the longer and steeper the climb, they're better, they're, you know, better they're gonna do. And then other riders, you could have 5'10", but they weigh 180 pounds and they're super muscular and really, really powerful. And in a sprint, they're gonna eat the skinny guy alive, but like on a long alpine climb, they're gonna lose, you know, 30, 45 minutes. So depending on, on the kind of parkour of the race, depending on how much climbing there is, how long it is, what the climbs are like, different riders are going to excel. So like for a lot of riders, like, um, Chris Froome is, is probably the most notable um, Grand Tour rider of the past few years. He won the Tour four times. Uh, this is his last couple of years he's in right now. Um, kind of a shadow of, of his former self, but like you look at him and he is the skinniest looking guy you've ever seen, right? Like he couldn't you know, fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Um, Chris Froome is arguably the most famous cyclist in the world, or was for a little while when he won the, four, when, you know, won the Tour four times. He has never competed in a lot of cycling's biggest races, like Paris-Roubaix or like the Tour of Flanders or things like that um, because he can't win them you know and conversely like Mark Cavendish is never going to go and do like a race like Lombardia that has a lot of like really long steep climbs and stuff like that so for a lot of these guys they're only doing the races that really suit them um, you know and, and that's kind of what makes like races interesting is that there's a lot of nuance there you know you'll see in the beginning of the season you know, in the past 10 or so years, a lot of the racing takes place in the Middle East, you know, like the UAE tour or something like that, where the, for the most part, totally pan flat, right? And in those races, you're, you're, I mean, more and more you're getting GC riders coming to them while they're adding climbing stages. But for the most part, their sprinting stages, they're totally pan flat, you know, a breakaway will go to get on TV. They have no hope of winning because the, the teams that are there are there to sprint. And when that breakaway goes, those sprinters teams, you know, they might let them get 10 or so minutes up the road, but then they're all going to work together to even collaborate between teams to say, hey, we're going to chase these guys down because we're here to sprint today, right? Um, and then later on in the season, you know, when the alpine climbs and stuff kind of open up, you'll get um, races where these skinny climber dudes come out and, um, you know, like a lot of the bigger dudes won't even bother to show up because they're not going to win, right? And then kind of in the middle of the, of the season, you'll have like the classics and stuff, these one-day races that you see the riding in the cobblestones in Belgium and France and stuff like that. And those are where like, you know, somebody who's maybe not a pure sprinter, but way too big to climb well, you know, like these breakaway specialists, they're going to go and like, I was saying the classics, um, these kind of one day races in Europe with a lot of technical roads and cobblestones and short punchy climbs and stuff like that, the breakaway wins almost every time, right? So there's a whole lot of different variety as you, as you move through the year. Okay. 
And so um, my last question, can you maybe just tell a little bit about like um, what the Tour de France is? Um, maybe quickly, just for those that haven't been paying attention, it's mostly that I think that's who the question would be directed for is those who haven't been paying attention. Maybe just kind of update us on what's been happening so you know, we can look smart when we're talking at the water cooler or something at work. Yeah, right. So like like the Tour de France is one of two cycling events that exist in the general consciousness of the public, right? And the other one is Red Bull Rampage. So when you tell people that I ride bikes for fun, they will ask you, oh, like the Tour de France or oh, like Red Bull Rampage? You know, like those are the two kind of extremes. And the tour is interesting because it's, it's been going on for over a century. You know, it, it is this huge commercial event. Like people who don't care about cycling know what the tour is and some of them will even follow it, right? Um, so in essence, if you're not aware, the Tour de France is what we call a grand tour, right? And the, the grand tours, there are three of them in cycling, and they are these three-week-long, 21-stage stage races, right? And the other two, in case you're interested, are the Giro d'Italia, which is the Tour of Italy, and then the Vuelta Espana, which is the Tour of Spain, right? And those are also a huge deal in the world of cycling, but everything pales in comparison to the tour, right? And it's just because the tour is such a big commercial thing that so many people tune into it. The sponsors are willing to dump money into it and stuff. And then at the tour, as a result, you get the best riders on their best form, right? So the best way to judge, I think, how great a rider is, is to look at their performances in the tour, you know, for the most part. Like, there's some specialists, like, I think that you, if you're really into cycling, you could argue how, how well they do the classics or something like that. But the tour is the be-all, end-all cycling event. It's more important than the Olympics, right? Any cyclist would, pre would prefer to win the tour, maybe even a stage of the tour, than they would the Olympics, right? And um, like I said, it's 21 stages long. You'll get two rest days throughout there. Usually at the end of each week, there'll be a rest day. And um, it's going to mix uh, uh, climbing stages, um, you know, a lot of like flat kind of breakaway stages where lots of punchy climbs and stuff, and then tons of sprints and stuff like that too. Um, and it, you know, essentially, you kind of get three categories of riders that go there. You have GC riders, people that are going there with the intent of winning the Tour de France, right? Winning that yellow jersey that everybody knows, the Maillot Jaune. Um, guys, basically their goal is to finish those three weeks with the lowest possible time. And then you have stage hunters, people who don't really have a realistic ambition of winning the tour for all and are just there to win a stage or two. And then the third category is the people who are there to help people in categories one or two, right? And I always say, like, if you, if you look, you know, people will be like, oh my gosh, you've got, you know, 200 of the world's best cyclists competing to win. I'm like, no, not really. You've got five of the world's best cyclists competing to win, plus, you know, their entourage of riders who are there to help them, right? Like a lot of the really great riders in the tour who are the highest paid are just like have never won a race before. Like their their job is to race for someone else, is to collect a paycheck, right? Um, and the biggest deal with the tour is the general classification, right? And and GC and we call it the GC riders are usually these these really really strong climbers, um, you know, like the strongest lightest climber who can also be do a little bit of a time trial basically. Um, and that's all decided in the mountains, right? So like the GC guys, there'll be four or five of them who have like a realistic chance of winning. And, and the, the kind of formula for that is the best climber who can do um, a good time trial. And the time trials just very briefly, they're pretty boring. Or like there'll, there'll usually be two, maybe three in the, over the course of the tour. And that's basically like, hey, here's this, you know, hour long course or this 30 minute or even 15 minute long course. You go out one by one and they ride the crazy helmets that stick out way in the back and they have the crazy, you know, bikes and everything and they ride like like triathletes almost. And so it's interesting because the very best rider in the tour or like the very best climber in the tour very rarely wins, you know, because you have to be able to climb and then do well in these time trials. Or you're going to give up a whole bunch of time, right? Um, so GC Would GC cons contenders need to know how to sprint? 
Not really, no. Um, oh, because just they're just going for lowest overall time, not yeah, not actually winning races. They're just lowest overall time. No, it's interesting you bring this up. So in 2017 and 2019, so like recently, the guys who won the tour did not win a stage. They didn't even really contest a lot of stages. Like their goal is to finish with the lowest overall time, right? So most people go to the tour, and they'll have one or two days where they finish with a really good overall time. But the rest of the time, you know, like for a lot of these guys, you know, the guys who are like these domestiques and stuff, once their job's done, they can finish 45 minutes down, you know, and the sprinters and stuff like they can, they almost get cut. Like there's a timeline where if you don't finish within whatever percent of the winner, you're going to get cut. So all they have to do is be like, oh, you know, I finished the stage 45 minutes after the winner did. Right. And if you're GC, you need to be up there. Right. Like, you know, if, if, if somebody goes and goes and wins five stages in the mountains, they're winning the tour. Right. But if you win one stage in the mountain and then, you know, like your job's done. Those are that second category I talked about. People are just there to win that one stage and then they're good to go. Right. And that's like, you know, you can be commercially successful as a, as a stage winner, too. Um, but the GC riders, like they're there to finish with the lowest overall time, which kind of lends itself to like this really interesting, um, you know, sort of dynamic where these guys are, um, you know, uh, always finishing near the front, but rarely at the front. Because to finish at the front, you have to expend a lot of extra energy, like sprinting and stuff is not efficient. You know, like if you want to get across the line first, um, you're probably going to have to expend more energy, chase down people who aren't a threat to you in the GC. Like a lot of the guys you see winning stages at the tour are like 15, 20 minutes down. So only stage hunters are really going to sprint, right? Yeah, essentially. And like stage hunters aren't just climbers. So stage hunters could also be guys who are there to win sprints, right? And and those are like a, a whole bunch of the people who are at the tour are, 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 are part of what we call lead out train for a sprinter, right? We're on these pan flat stages. What'll happen is the breakaway goes away. They get on TV. They wave to their wife or whatever, and then um, the peloton catches them. You come into the last four or five kilometers, and then it's just a contest, right, between these sprinters teams. There are usually be three or four, and you'll have your team sprinter, the guy who has the highest power, who's really good at working his way through a group and stuff. Um, but you know, there's a whole lot that happens before that where they'll have this sprinter and he'll ride behind four or five different guys, right? And those four or five different guys will just empty the tank on the front and then peel off. And the next guy will empty the tank on the front and then peel off. Then you get to the last three, 400 meters, and then the lead-out guys start sprinting, right? So you're looking at the group and everybody's sprinting. But if you look really closely, you can tell there's different lines. Like, here's a bunch of blue jerseys together. Here's a bunch of yellow jerseys. Here's a bunch of, uh, what's another, like a red jerseys all together. And those will be these lead-out trains, right? And as you get closer and closer, guys fall off. And it almost looks like guys are giving up and you're confused, right? Like, oh, he was winning and now he just gave up. Like... 300 meters from the line, what's going on there, right? But in reality, the guys who are really there to win the stage, you're not even going to see until 100 meters to go, right? And in those last 100 meters, literally the last, you know, five or 10 seconds, you're going to see the best sprinters in the world. They come out from behind their lead-out train. You know, they're done saving energy. They're there to drop that 1,700-watt bomb sprint and go and win the stage, right? And then for them, like, they're incentivized to get through the rest of the tour because the most prestigious sprint is that last stage that everybody sees in Paris in the Champs-Élysées, right? Um, but if you look, you know, you'll see like we had Alpe d'Huez a couple days ago, the most famous climb in the tour, and all these GC guys, all these GC guys go and, and, and rip each other to pieces on the climb and get up it super, super fast. If you keep watching the race coverage for the next 50 minutes, you have riders coming through, right? And these sprinters, like where their goal is just to get over the climb and, you know, get over and finish. Um, so there's a whole bunch of different races going on all at the same time. Okay. Well, I can tell you could talk about this all day. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a nerd, you know, and like, 
And again, like for me, this is fun to watch, but you have to do a lot of right, like watching road racing to kind of understand the strategy and to get something. Like I always say like mountain bike racing is checkers, road bike racing is chess. And I was actually just going to come because I love that quote and I actually have stolen it from you and I use it frequently, but it's okay. I haven't copyrighted it yet. Okay. But yeah, no, it's in, and, and like I said, like there's a, and, and we'll do a, a lot more episodes where we go more into detail than this, but like I would challenge people to go and, and, and watch a stage of the tour, watch something like that and see if, if you can watch stuff playing out. I thought about throwing around names and stuff in this, but I, I won't. Um, there are other things that go on in the tour, like the green jersey and the polka dot jersey and whatever, like between you and me, like real cycling fans do not care about those. You know, like I, 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 I don't, I'm not even going to bother doing it. It's basically I've won like, some of those in Strava too. So yeah, or exactly. in a Zwift actually. Yeah. And, and go watch a YouTube explainer and like, oh, the green jersey is for the best sprinter. It's not for the best sprinter, right? Like breakaway riders get green jersey points all the time because they're away from the bunch. Like it's not, you know, the real essence of the tour is finding who's going to win overall and then watching who's going to win on that day's stage. Um, and there's a lot of other aspects. If people are interested, we can go into them more. Um, but for this first one, I just kind of want you to understand what you're seeing when you watch a road race. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining that. For being a nerd, yeah. And, <laughs> and you'll see this format too where I'll interview Dan about stuff that I don't care about. I don't know if you could tell that Dan is is probably not as interested in this as he is in, in some other stuff. So again, we'll, we'll have more episodes where we talk about road stuff. Um, but I think if you understand this, you will get more out of your cycling experience in general. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Joe. No problem. Talk to you guys soon.